to preach this morning about love and life. Love and life. Love and life. There was, the year was 1989. And there was a little boy growing up in a little rural place, a little, little valley in the mountains of southwest Virginia. This little boy has asked me not to mention his name today because sometimes his parents watch the services. And I don't know that his parents know about this story. So uh, on behalf of the little boy growing up there in the 80s, in southwest Virginia, rural southwest Virginia, I'll not use his name today. But the, the year was somewhere around maybe circa 1989. I, I, the little boy didn't know the, you know how kids are, he didn't know the exact date of all this. But right around that time, there had been this device that came out. It was one of the very first of all of these. And some of you will remember this. Some of you are so young that you'll be like, what in the world is this? But there was a little box, gray box, that came out. It was called Nintendo. Anybody ever heard of Nintendo? And this was the very first Nintendo. And this Nintendo had games like Super Mario Brothers, the very first Super Mario Brothers, before they started doing all these crazy things with it. There's no better game than... Let me just say this, uh, the young man grew up and he's been married to his wife now for 24 years and his wife is quite the purger and the cleaner and the get rid of her type of person. And one day, many years ago in their early marriage, his wife gave away his Nintendo and his Super Mario. But uh, that's for another sermon and another day. But it was 1989-ish, somewhere around in that neighborhood. The little boy was probably about 10, I don't know. And he wanted this new thing that came out called a Nintendo, Super Mario Brothers. There was another game on the same Super Mario cartridge, some of you might remember. And it was called Duck Hunt. And you had to get your gun out. And you'd push the gun towards, I'm sorry, I just pointed at you guys. You'd push the gun towards the screen. And you'd shoot the ducks as they would fly across the screen. Some of you are shaking your hands. Some of you remember this. Pastor Brad's so young, he probably doesn't remember anything about any of these Nintendo stuff. But this was the very first one. And this young boy was in such great anticipation. He wanted a Nintendo. And the Nintendo cost $100. Now, $100 in 1989 for a 10-year-old boy living in southwest Virginia who's, when he would go out to eat maybe once every couple months, his mom would bring the coupons from the newspaper and let him select off the coupons so he could get his meal. A hundred dollars was a lot of money. And he wanted this Nintendo. He wanted this gift. Christmas comes around and all these gifts that are around the, the tree... And I don't see too many young people in here that will use this strategy, so I think I'm okay. And hopefully at 11 o'clock they'll all be in children's church. But, or not me, the little boy, the little boy. He, he, he has some strategies about gifts. You can pick up a gift, and many times you can shake a gift enough, and you can figure some things out about a gift or you can push the gift and it's a squishy gift it's probably clothing and you can do certain things but there are a lot of techniques that this little boy had, had learned about gifts sometimes you you know with the packaging you I should have brought a gift with me 
where, where you cross it over, you know, on the corners and you tape it down, do you realize that you can, you can pull those corners up and you can peek in to there and sometimes, I mean, that's what the boy told me anyway. And sometimes you can see a little bit of the box. Or the, Now, if your parents or if his parents were smart, they might have it in a different box. It's just a, a blank box and you don't, that, that doesn't help you any. But sometimes you get lucky and, the, and, the, and it's been wrapped around. Well, I don't know. I suspect that this young man had probably, it was a bigger box. It could be a Nintendo I suspect he had probably shook it, but not too hard because he didn't want to break it. I suspect he probably had looked through some of the corners, but the way the wrapping paper was just too long on those corners and couldn't quite catch a glimpse. But according to this little boy, there's other ways that you can figure some of these things out. And sometimes you can take your index finger and your fingernail, and if you go just right, you can make a little scratch down the present. Now, you can't make the scratch too large, and you don't want to rip it off, according to the little boy. And perhaps this little boy with the Nintendo pushed down the paper, and he saw just enough of a picture. Maybe pulled it back just to, to realize, oh, I got my Nintendo. And quickly pushed that paper back on top. And no one noticed it, especially if you get a piece, I mean, I've heard these things. If you get a piece of scotch tape and put it back over where you, someone has made that rip, nobody knows the difference. Now, hopefully, that little boy's parents aren't watching, but many times they are, but, but I happen to know him pretty well. But he was seeking. He was peeking. He was shaking, and he was looking all around it to see what was inside and what was in that gift. And this morning it reminds me of a man. If we can go to John chapter 3. A man who was seeking. A man who was peeking. A man who was looking and, and searching. And sometimes I feel like with the things of God as Christians we'll get kind of close to it. But we need to take the wrapping paper off. We need to receive the love. We need to receive the life that God has for us. Sometimes we'll just kind of scratch things back. And we'll, we'll, we'll check church out a little bit online. Or, or we'll come and we'll sit in the pews and we'll, we'll worship a little bit. Instead of really getting in. Or, or maybe we don't know the Lord and we're, we're interested in the message of salvation, but maybe another day, maybe another time. And I want to tell us this morning, we need to unwrap the gift that God has for us. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not good enough just to be close to it. It's not good enough just to be close to personal salvation. It's not good enough just to be close to a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit. We need to open up the gifts that God has for us and quit sneaking around like that little boy did for Nintendo. One day he did open it all up and he played it and he enjoyed it and he had a lot of, a lot of good years out of it until his wife gave it away. John chapter 3. Let's look at a man who was looking, who was searching, was trying to find. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. Now this, by being a Pharisee, he was a well-educated man. By, by saying he was a ruler, he was a man of position. So this man was educated. This man was a man of position. 
with coming with that territory, he was a man of wealth. So this was a man you would have thought would have been content. You would have thought he would have been happy. He knew, even knew about the things of God by being a Pharisee. He knew a lot of things, but he, he hadn't opened the gift. He hadn't opened the package. This man came to Jesus by night. He's been called the secret disciple. He came to Jesus by night and he said to him, teacher or rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Many make that mistake today. Many make that, that same call. They're so close to who Christ is. He was a good man, they say. He was a great philosopher. He was a great teacher. But many fall short of making him the Lord and the Savior of who he really is and who he should be in their lives. He said, I know you're a teacher that comes from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He had seen, not only had he heard, but he had seen the things that God had done. And how many times could we say as a congregation this morning at 9 o'clock, we have seen God do great things. How many of you have seen God do great things? We've seen God do great things. We've seen the work of God. But are we walking in it? Are we experiencing it? Are we receiving it in our own personal lives? Do we come to church just to see everybody else get blessed or just, just to see God move and say, oh, that was wonderful. And that's okay. We want to see other people blessed. But we need to open up and respond to what God has for us. Somebody say amen this morning. They say years ago that, that well, I won't go there. Look at, look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting that Jesus cut right to the chase there. Nicodemus starts with the small talk, and Jesus gets right to it, and he says, unless one is born again. This man who is looking, this man who is seeking, this man who is exploring, this man who is asking questions, and Jesus said, you must be born again. If you're born again this morning, say amen. amen. If you have not been born again, you know what? Today is a great day to give your heart and your life to the Lord. We did a baptism several months ago, and, and one person had just given their heart to the Lord. They were riding on their way home. They turned around, came back, found me in the hallway, and said, I want to be baptized. He had just prayed with brother and sister Allison. He said, I want to be baptized. Why do you say that, Pastor? I'm saying if that's you today and you just gave your heart to the Lord or you say, you know what? I'm going to do it today and I'm going to do it all. I'm going to get saved and baptized. Find me in the hallway. We'll baptize you in water. And you can say, I have given my heart to the Lord. Jesus went right, cut right to the chase. You must be born again. There is no other way to see the kingdom of God not just see the kingdom of God living with him eternally one day, but opening that gift of living in the kingdom of God in the here and now. Living in his presence now. Living in his provisions now. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? What's my excuse? What's your excuse? Instead of him just saying, I know you're a great teacher. I know you're the son of God. You just told me to be born again. Explain it to me. I want to do it. But he made an excuse. How can I do that if I'm old? And some may say, how can I experience the presence of God in a greater way in my life when I've never allowed this to happen 
before. And I'm preaching all right this morning. Open the gift. Somebody say, open. Open. Let's say it again. Open. Open the gift. Receive the gift. He said, how can I do this when I'm old? Can I enter a second time in my mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's saying you got to be born water. He's talking here about physical birth. You're born physically. But just because we're born physically does not make us saved, does not make us born again. Just coming to church every week does not make us saved or born again. Even reading our Bible doesn't make us saved or the, or the latest devotional or, 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 you know, I have people all the time, well, I listen to this and I do that and, and I, I think sometimes people are telling me that in a very sincere way and sometimes people are just trying to say, well, you know, I kind of, and, and we're around that peripheral, all right, I'm not trying to be mean this morning, I'm just saying we need to get away from just looking like the little boy peeking through the gift and we need to walk into the gift and experience the fullness of being born again and really serving God. Somebody say amen, amen this morning. Walk into that. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the flesh and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't be surprised that I'm saying this to you. Would, would there be large numbers of people today in this world who would be surprised to hear that we must be born again? Or, or do most people believe today that as long as I'm good to other people and I live a good moral life or I'm true to my... Here, here's the thing now. True to my beliefs. True to myself. True to how... I'm true to the truth as I define it. That's where we are, isn't it? And we're in this tolerance. And it's so don't question their truth and don't question their truth. And everybody just be true to who you are. And we're all good and we're going to go to heaven. And that's not the scripture. Must be born again. But how many of our young people, how many of the generations now even know that, even understand that? Look with me, John 10.10. I want to talk about something and I don't know. I hope it doesn't make us uncomfortable this morning. But you know what? Church should be uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes it should be uncomfortable. And if you come here every single week and you don't leave every once in a while a little upset or a little dug around the roots or, or a little frazzled and a little challenged, I'm not doing my job. So I hope maybe it does stir us up a little bit this morning. But John 10.10 10 said, the thief does not come. The thief is Satan. Do you know we're in a real battle with Satan? Have we forgotten that? I don't know if sometimes we forget that. We're in a real battle with Satan. Satan who's after me, he's after you, he's after our families. He plays for keeps. The thief, Satan, comes except to steal and to kill and destroy. And if I'm not born again, and if I'm not walking in the kingdom of God, then I am under the tutelage of the thief, and something's being stolen from me, something's being killed in me, something's being destroyed in and around me. It's the reality. It's the truth of the gospel. I have come, Jesus said, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. Somebody say life. life. And what I'm preaching today is life and love. Life and love. 
and I'm not angry. I sound loud because I'm all stopped up, but I'm not angry. I don't feel the best because I've been sick all week, and I thought this would be a good Sunday to bring a stool up here and sit down and say, we're going to talk about these things, and I'm not going to shout, but I don't see a stool anywhere, so you're stuck with me standing. I have come that they may have life. Somebody say life. life. And they may have it more abundantly. There are generations, there are people in this world, in this society, there are young people in our schools, in our community that needs to hear the message that the enemy is trying to kill you. He's trying to steal from you. He's trying to destroy you. But there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has a life for you and a life that is abundant for you. And they need to hear that message. Do you know, here's where it might get a little uncomfortable, trigger warning. There's congressional hearings this past week. Is anybody watching any of, of that? There were congressional hearings this past week. And let me read to you what the congressional hearings were about. They were advocates, both for and against, gender-affirming care. Now, now listen to how good that sounds. Gender-affirming. That doesn't sound negative. That doesn't sound negative. Now, that's, that's a strategy, an intentional strategy of the enemy. Pro-choice. Abortion. Pro-choice. They're not saying I'm pro-abortion. They don't say I'm pro-murder, which is what it is. They say pro-choice. So now we have gender-affirming. We're, we're, we're saying we want to give care to these people so they can decide which gender they think that they are. And so we're going to call it gender-affirming. And that sounds so right in this society. It sounds so tolerant in this society. It sounds so meaningful. And it's, and it, and it's the bandwagon that everybody seems to be marching to. From your local guidance counselor at, at a school to, to your uh, physician, to, to the government, to your legislature who's running for re-election. Let's all be gender affirming. I'm not being mean this morning. But this is not a good thing. Somebody say amen. Gender affirming care. For minors, and it was people testifying at a, of all places in Congress... A House Judicial Subcommittee. Now, I could get on a soapbox this morning. I, I could talk about we have churches that can't even stand on the truth of God's word with this anymore either. Look at Matthew 10. Matthew, let me find it. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. I want to tell you what Jesus said. Everybody say Jesus. I want to tell you what Jesus said. I'm not being mean this morning. I, I, I'm upset because these things are damaging and killing and stealing and destroying innocent lives. I'm upset this morning because first we have abortion. And, and they try to, to take the life of the child before the child's even born. And thank God that we have a Supreme Court that has taken a stand recently. Somebody say amen to life. But now we have this movement of let's let children decide 
which sex they are. My children, when they were five, six, seven years old, had a hard time deciding if they wanted a McChicken or if they wanted a McChicken Nugget. But yet we're saying, let's affirm them. They feel like this. They've seen it on some YouTube I, I, some YouTube video somewhere. Some, some person, some trusted adult, some professional has affirmed them. Some parent has failed to take them to church. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. He's preaching this morning. What did Jesus say? And he answered and said to them, This is Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, who made them at the beginning? God. Have you not read that God made them from the beginning and he made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother. We might as well address while we're in this. While we're going down this road, we might as well make it very clear where we stand as a church, where the gospel is. We might as well address marriage again this morning. The only holy marriage before God is between one man and one woman. Let me take it one step further. The only holy sexual interaction is between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage, period. That's where the word of God stands this morning. Amen. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, a man with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I don't have time this morning to get into all of this, but it's also a picture of the body of Christ and Christ himself. And when we distort marriage, we're distorting that too. One man, one woman. What are you saying this morning, Pastor Greg? Well, go ahead and read verse 6. Then I'll say it. Then And so then they, no longer two, but one flesh... Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I think I could take that little phrase, if you go all the way up through that passage there, what God has said, let no man undermine. Regardless of the curriculum in a school, regardless of of a Supreme Court, regardless of a legislation from Richmond or from Washington, I still believe in the Word of God. Now, here's why I'm preaching like this this morning. I'm not trying to rail against people. Because there are children and there are men and there are women who are bound by sin. Who are bound by some of these things. There are children and men and women who are confused by all of this thing. And they don't know and they're looking for a transformation and they're looking for a conversion. And they think if I allow this to happen in my life then I'll suddenly be okay. But then they find that they're not okay and most of the time they're suicidal. And it's the enemy trying to kill, steal and destroy. But I'm preaching this way to say this morning to those who might be struggling with these issues or those in your families that might be struggling with these issues. It hits home when it starts getting into some of our families or extended families. And let me tell you, we love them. Somebody say love. We love them. We don't reject them. We love them. Somebody say love. 
We love them enough, yes, to tell them the truth of the gospel as best we can. And as often as we have a good opportunity and led by the Holy Spirit. And we love them and we show them the truth. And we love them and we show them the truth. And we pray and we love them and we show them the truth and we pray. Am I preaching all right this morning? But what we can't do is just say, okay, you know what? They're, they're pretty good folks and maybe, I, maybe I'm old-fashioned. Maybe I just need to get with the times. But getting with the times is going to take us to hell. We've got to get with the word again. You know, we've been talking about revival. We want to have revival. And, and the only way, one of the ways to have revival is we've got to stand on the word of God. Why are you preaching like this, Pastor? Because life is decided by God, our Creator, and begins at the moment of conception. Gender is determined by God, our Creator, at conception. And furthermore, purpose for every man, woman, boy, or girl was planned by God even before we were formed in our mother's womb. And oh, what freedom there is in that message. And oh, how I wish we could take these children and their families who are going through this, and the enemy's trying his best to ruin their life. Watch some of that testimony on Capitol Hill. Watch some of those folks whose bodies have been mutilated, whose bodies have been changed by hormones, but then they sit there in Washington the other day and they say, it didn't answer my problem. It didn't change my life. In fact, it made it worse and they're stuck. And some of those things are not reversible. If we could take the children and wrap our arms around them. Now we don't have the influence. We don't have the television broadcast or whatever, the internet. We don't have that influence that even goes around the whole state. But this local body right here is making a difference and we have an influence in our little communities around us. We can make a difference. We can make a mark. We can stand as the light of love and life to the people around us, and we can help somebody, or even many. Amen? Here's my closing verse along that line. I hope this comes across, because I want it to come across with love and tenderness, but without compromise this morning. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then little children were brought to Jesus. Now that's just a beautiful picture. Just a beautiful picture. I think of some of these children that are struggling through these decisions and these things that are happening in their lives. And I say, oh, if we could just pick them up and just bring them to Jesus and sit them in his lap and let him bless them and let him hug them and let him touch them. The little children were brought to Jesus, that Jesus might put his hands on them and pray. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And sometimes we're our own worst barriers. Here are Jesus' right-hand men. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus is here blessing the children. And the disciples are trying to send them on their way. 
Jesus is too busy. We cannot afford in this day and this hour to be a church that has any unnecessary barriers. Is that right this morning? If the, if the tradition is getting in the way of the ministry, the tradition needs to move and the ministry needs to move forward. Is that all right? If our preconceived ideas of things, that's what I like about this church. I feel that we're, we're biblical. We stay within the Bible, but I don't get really any feedback when we try, bad feedback when we try something creative as long as it's within the word to try to minister to folks. Nobody said anything when we moved the chairs around in Bible school and we had all, those, all this space open for the children to be ministered to. And you know what happened at the end of the week? They, them and their parents came and the worship team sang and the Holy Spirit moved and God blessed them here in this altar. And nobody complained, oh, the chairs, the chairs are not in the right place. That'd be silly, wouldn't it? I don't want any unnecessary barrier. I don't want any unnecessary tradition, any unnecessary thing that would keep the children from coming to Christ. And sometimes as disciples, we're unintentionally creating barriers. We're trying to make discipleship around here. We're trying to make discipleship in a way where people can access it every day of their life. We have right now media. We have other resources. We're trying to make groups and classes that meet on different days and different times. Why? We're trying to eliminate barriers because nowhere in the word does it say your discipleship has to be at x time on x day somebody say amen but it does say we ought to be discipled and be part the disciples rebuked them but here's what jesus said verse 14 jesus said let the little children come to me somebody say let them come let them come let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Can we leave that scripture up? And would you stand with me? The worship team, can you come this morning? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved today. You can be converted. That thing that so many are searching for and they're trying to find it through altering their hormones and altering their surgeries and altering this and altering that but what we need is a conversion on the inside where Jesus saves us from our sins Corinthians said if any man be in Christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new so if you don't know the Lord this morning this altar is open you can come and pray repent of your sins and ask the Lord to, to save you